This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. The month from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. Uh, we run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with patients about a wide range of conditions and we manufacture all our own certified organic herbal extracts, which are either grown on our CCUF certified herb farm or which are sourced from other USA-certified organic supplies. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, uh, you're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's t- subject of alkalinity versus acidity uh, with reference to disease. With reference to disease, rather. Uh, the number here, if you live in the area... It's 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Uh, we can also be reached toll-free on 1-888-WBM-ERB for further questions during normal business hours Monday through Friday. So once again, we're very welcome to have Dr. Raymond Pete to share his wisdom and expertise with us uh, for this next hour. Um, Dr. Pete, are you there? Yes, hi. Hi, thanks for joining us so much. Um, okay, so would you, uh, as usual, just give uh, the listeners who perhaps have never heard you before or heard of you uh, a rundown of your academic and professional background? Oh, I, I studied biology at the University of Oregon and um, have since uh, about 1970 just continued on my own uh, figuring things out and uh, talking to a lot of people and listening to their problems. And uh, almost every time I talk to someone, I learn something about physiology. It's a very complex, continuing thing. Your, your main... But you, um, you did a, a PhD in physiology, didn't you? Based on hormones? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, reproductive physiology and the aging was uh, the subject of my dissertation. Okay, because I know we've, uh, we've interviewed you quite a bit on the show now. I know we really enjoy having you here to share your experience because you're so factual in terms of your scientific reference for what most people will just spout out as just being the truth. So uh, that's something I very much appreciate with um, being able to have this opportunity to talk to you and, uh, and consult with you even. So it's, uh, it's always refreshing to have the science behind the reasons why. It just makes it a little bit more relevant. I think people are too only to uh, easily suck it into believing that something is the way it is just because they've been told. So I really appreciate everything that you do to bring a scientific uh, relevance to the subject. Um, so this, this month, I know uh, we've, we've mentioned uh, Empire Show's cancer, and I know that your uh, specialism uh, with uh, metabolism and thyroid hormone uh, and the other, um, well, physiological hormones that are pro pro-life and not uh, inflammatory, um, brings me to this topic of uh, alkalinity and acidity, so generally summed up as pH. Um, There's lots of information on the internet, and I know that most people that are listening to the show now that might be interested in the subject uh, will appreciate the kind of uh, clarity uh, with which you'll bring to the reason that you understand uh, the importance of maintaining healthy pH. And uh, the, I think the main reference for cancer is that cancers seemed to 
uh, predominate in acidic environments and that are diets uh, for want of a better reason through the poor proteins or uh, other protein-based foods that we would eat, um, beans and seeds um, and some meats, um, produce about uh, acidic byproducts. So what do you, how do you, how do you, how do you look at... Um, um, these sort of traditional ideas about uh, the acid-based balance of food, uh, they usually lead to a pretty good diet. For example, the uh, Indian uh, diet, uh, fruit, vegetables, and milk and cheese, uh, that's a good example of the um, alkaline residue diet. Uh, and so I don't have any disagreement with the, the dietary recommendations to eat lots of uh, milk and cheese and fruit and vegetables, but it's the uh, small details that uh, people use to argue uh, for certain uh, refinements of that diet. For example, the, the fear of milk, uh, they, they talk about the, uh, the loss of calcium in the urine uh, as indicating that uh, maybe it's too much acid but actually the, the residue of, of milk is on the um, alkaline side because of the very large amount of uh, potassium and calcium in the milk, uh, very similar to the, the vegetables that the cows eat to make the milk. Uh -huh. uh, they accumulate a huge amount of uh, alkaline. Let's, let's just uh, talk about that subject a little bit more. The, the residue, you've, you've said, that's the, uh, if you like, what's left behind once the uh, food source has been metabolized, that's what actually dictates whether a food is what we call alkaline or acidic. Um, yeah, and um, grains, nuts, uh, beans, and meats uh, do have a very acidic uh, residue or ash after they're metabolized. Okay. And uh, the biggest part of, of that in uh, meat and nuts and grains is phosphate. Uh, proteins have a lot of sulfur, turns into sulfuric acid when it's metabolized. Uh, and those, uh, it is possible to uh, uh, do biological harm by eating too much of those and not enough of the uh, potassium, sodium, magnesium, and calcium side. Okay. Which are predominantly found in fruits and vegetables. Uh, yeah, fruits, vegetables, milk, and cheese. Okay, so do you uh, would you be prepared to uh, run through some of the more commonly um, experienced uh, acidic production processes in the body, whether they're uh, respiratory or uh, in producing uh, urine or other other wastes, and how the body will deal? Um, with, with the uh, maintaining the pH balance in the body? I, I think it helps to look at the, uh, the picture in the very biggest uh, context, which is that mostly we're a, a huge lump of protein, mm -hmm. and protein is on average uh, acidic. Right. And if you just leave acid sitting around in the environment, it will accumulate the base that neutralizes it. Right. And so if we think of ourselves as a big piece of acidic 
spontaneously uh, will associate uh, alkaline material with it, uh, potassium, uh, magnesium, for example, uh, will neutralize <clears throat> the acidity of the <clears throat> protein. But as we energize our system uh, by burning carbohydrate and fat mostly, um, the, the uh, carbohydrate in particular turns into carbon dioxide. <clears throat> and the um, carbon dioxide has to constantly be leaving the organism. It, uh, what comes in is oxygen. The oxygen combines with the fuel carbon and becomes carbon dioxide. So you have a, a neutral uh, oxygen coming in, and it's called oxygen, meaning the acid former. The acid that it forms in this case is carbonic acid. And we're constantly met metabolically producing this acid, which is streaming out of our cells and uh, leaving through our lungs primarily, the kidneys, uh, hardly lose any carbon dioxide or bicarbonate. It almost all leaves through the lungs. And as, as the carbon dioxide is produced, uh, combining with water, it turns into carbonic acid, which ionizes and so you have the acidic uh, carbonic acid leaving the cell as a charged particle. It takes uh, the um, oppositely charged uh, sodium with it, primarily sodium and, and calcium, are uh, constantly being drawn out of the cell by the stream of carbonic acid being produced inside the cell. Okay. And... Uh, so the the alkaline minerals <clears throat> reach the bloodstream uh, in balance with the uh, carbon carbonic acid, and then the carbonic acid leaves the lungs as carbon dioxide, leaving uh, an alkaline uh, trace in the blood. Uh, the, the, the cell basically was neutral until it produced the acid, uh, then. That neutralized uh, protein uh, gave up some of its uh, mineral alkaline material, which then uh, shows up in the blood. So the pH of the blood is above neutral, about pH 7.4. Right. Because and, of the carbonic acid? Yeah. And in this healthy metabolism, well, the carbonic acid which left in your lungs, Being given up. Uh, the, the mineral gets pulled out of the neutral cell, originally neutral, but as it's pulled out with the, the acid being constantly formed, uh, the cell uh, re shows its basic protein acidity, and so the respiring cell is normally slightly on the acidic side. A good, healthy cell with plenty of oxygen will be around pH 6, 6.8, <clears throat> and if you stress a cell so it <clears throat> isn't getting enough carbon dioxide uh, or stress it in any way, radiation, uh, not enough oxygen, uh, not enough of any of the things that it needs, the cell becomes activated and shifts to the alkaline 
because it can't make carbon dioxide to acidify itself, and it begins producing uh, lactic acid very inefficiently. And the thing about lactic acid is that the sugar, instead of being oxidized all the way to carbon dioxide, uh, comes to the point of pyruvic acid, and instead of that being oxidized, uh, the cell uh, reduces the pyruvic acid to lactic acid uh, by taking uh, some of the energy uh, substance that was produced in this metabolism, wasting it to uh, get rid of the electrons so that this NADH, NAD can go back and, and become reduced again uh, and, uh, and uh, produce more of the conversion of pyruvic to lactic acid. And in that process, the lactic acid is taking protons out of the cell and is um, raising the pH of the cell as, it is, as the conversion of pyruvic acid to lactic acid increases the pH of the cell, right. just the opposite of what the production of carbon dioxide was doing. So, so the stressed cell becomes alkaline. So it's when they when the popular theory is um, stated that cancer cells like an acidic environment. It sounds like if a, a cell is stressed, it likes an alkaline environment. Then that uh, sounds ex almost exactly opposite. Well, uh, it, it shifts internally to become alkaline when it's stressed, but the the produced lactic acid accumulates in its environment, and that's where the acid is. Um, in the surroundings, and then it shows up in the blood. Right, so that's like if you've stressed your muscle out too much, then then you're producing lactic acid, and that makes your muscles sore. Yeah. So that's a stressed cell. And, and is lactic acid play a big part in cancer as well? Um, yeah, it, it not only acidifies the environment, which in itself could be actually protective if it was acidified by carbon dioxide, but uh, it happens that the lactic acid acts as a signal to um, do all of the things associated with cancer, such as uh, stimulating the growth of new blood vessels uh, so that the, uh, the inflammation continues. It, it signals uh, a lot of inflammatory changes, uh, vasodilation um, and, and the formation of new blood vessels and the release of uh, carbon monoxide, nitric oxide, uh, lots of uh, things producing free radicals and the injury. So the lactic acid is functioning as a, a local poison or inflammatory agent. And, just and the, the carbon, the acidity that it produces is a sign that, that something is wrong, but it isn't the acidity in the tumor that that's harmful because the tumor itself is internally alkaline. Right. So as a, a side point, what do you think of foods that are high in lactic acid? Uh, well, it, it, even when we make it ourselves, um, it has these pro-inflammatory uh, swelling-producing uh, tumor-promoting functions and, and uh, when it's made by bacteria, it 
somewhat more toxic. And uh, when the body receives it, either from a stressed muscle or a tumor or from uh, too much yogurt or uh, some food that has been fermented, uh, it goes to the liver to get detoxified. So every time you eat uh, something with lactic acid, it's the same as if you had been stressed physically. Your liver has to work extra to detoxify it, and it has to have a source of energy to uh, detoxify the lactic acid, turning it back into glucose. And the glucose is right back where you started, so you've lost ground every time your liver has to process lactic acid. So would you um, would you consider any amount of lactic acid containing food to be a, a stress to the liver, or do you think there's some margin of, um, oh. you know, like benefit? Yeah, versus... a healthy liver uh, doesn't notice an occasional uh, dish of yogurt or, or sauerkraut or something. Uh, but uh, how I got interested in it was uh, a long time ago, uh, I... I discovered kefir on, on uh, some store. Uh, kefir? Tasted, tasted good, and, and so I drank uh, oh, a little more than a, a cup of it, I think, each day for lunch. But every time I did that, I would get a migraine-like headache every afternoon. And that started me uh, looking up what happens to your blood sugar and inflammatory mediators when you get more more lactic acid than your liver likes. So Interesting. How, how do you think about uh, um, people's lifestyles uh, promoting uh, an acidic situation from stress and, and how that would negatively impact someone's health in, in a scientific way? That, that That's the reason why. How does stress... Um, the um, nervous system is in control of, of metabolism to a great extent, so you don't have to uh, run five miles to um, shift over into that stress metabolism if your nervous system and emotional systems are, are very uh, stressed. Uh, it, the, um, just the thought of what you're doing, I mentioned it before, that uh, if you... Uh, hang a, a, an animal by its tail or put it in a in a tube where it can't move, uh, it will very quickly get an ulcer uh, with um, lactic acid going to all of its systems, releasing histamine and other uh, serotonin mediators of inflammation. But if you uh, give something for the animal to bite, even though it's in the same restrained, stressful situation, as long as it can defend itself by biting back, <laughs> it doesn't get the ulcer. Do, do you think this could possibly explain why people have said in the past, well, you know, people that are angry, uh, as long as they let it out, they generally don't get cancer. It's the people that are angry that hold it in and don't do anything about it that get cancer. <laughs> the, the rat experiment really suggests that. <laughs> Okay, so do you, do you think that um, if if, there, if we can coin the term an acidic lifestyle, the stressed businessman who's always trying to meet deadlines that he's hard pushed to make, um, you know, just missing the 
missing the plane or just missing his appointments and being very stressed out, that's a potential for a situation where cancer could arise because of the uh, um, the acidity from stress? Well, it, it, it is actually the things like lactic acid and right. serotonin right. And, and the stress really is doing its damage by creating an intracellular alkaline condition. It's, it's the alkalinity. For example, uh, when someone is under surgery, they, they often get ulcers just from, from being operated on somewhere else. Okay. And uh, if they are, are respirating them, that stress will very often give them lung inflammation mm-hmm. and brain inflammation and so on. And they've found uh, gradually, 60 or 70 years after the people originally discovered it, they found that if they don't ventilate them very thoroughly and let them accumulate quite a bit of carbon dioxide, their lungs and brain are protected and don't swell. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's the acidity from carbon dioxide is extremely anti-stress and protective. It's the alkalinity that goes with producing lactic acid, which does the harm. Right, I think just to explain that, you're saying that the acidity is produced by the uh, production of uh, hydrogen ions, say, that are in the extracellular medium from the cell. So the cell is alkaline. Yeah, uh, yeah it just shifts the yeah. protons right. out of the cell. Right. So that, that's why people get stomach ulcers if they're stressed, because instead of their cells in their stomach holding onto the acid, it's like releasing it into the environment, and then it damages the stomach lining. Can you look at it like that? Um, Yeah, it's um, really the the serotonin and other inflammatory things in the stomach rather than just the acid. Uh, The stomach is very good at at holding extreme acidity safely, but uh, when when stress gives the wrong kind of signals uh, and you don't have continuing respiration, uh, then... You get the damage. So it's it's the presence of that acid under in a stressed cell that's then triggering the inflammatory mediators. Um, you can't actually just measure because everyone's stomach is acidic. It's the most acidic yeah. environment ever. But I mean, they say when you have stomach ulcers, oh, you shouldn't have this acidic food. But it's it's not really down to the acid. Then you're saying it's more down just to the other inflammatory mediators. Oh yeah. Okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of alkalinity versus acidity, uh, with reference to um, certain disease processes. Uh, Dr. Raymond Peet is uh, joining us in the studio, and uh, until 8 o'clock, um, if people would like to call in with any questions, related or unrelated, uh, please go ahead. Okay, so Dr. P. um... Do you, how realistic is it? I mean, because there's a thing that they call the potential renal acid load of a food, right, the PRAL, that I guess is the measure of how much ammonia or protons are within the food when it's metabolized, and that's the kind of ash value, as it were, of the food. How, do you, how, do you, how realistic do you think it is to consume alkalizing materials and how that would affect the uh, overall acid-based balance when the stomach is so acidic 
Well, it, it's, I think it's very safe to um, consume a great excess of the alkaline material, mm-hmm. which uh, the, the fruit and vegetable and milk people do. Right. And the, um, the body can produce, uh, can change protein, for example, into ammonium. And uh, if it doesn't have enough mineral, it will waste protein, turning it into the equivalent of the alkaline material. And uh, uh, using the ammonia as, as the cation equivalent of the sodium, so it can save the sodium and calcium and so on. Hmm. Okay, because I, 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 uh, <clears throat> I always looked at ammonia as, as the NH4 plus as being able to dissociate into hydrogen protons, but I probably missed missed the point of some somewhere along the line. I always look at ammonia as, as I know ammonia is a base; it's not an acid. But um, I think I got it messed up in chemistry. Well, there, well, when it when it becomes the ammonium, uh, uh, that is um, the equivalent of sodium, and, and so it uh, right. That's the NH four plus, right? Is that is it? yeah? Okay. All right. So. How, how realistic do you think it is to consume? You, you think that consuming things that have um, an excess of potassium and magnesium and calcium can actively work to um, raise the pH of uh, someone's environment? Um, well, they, um, I, I think they have the, the main function is sparing protein that you would use for the kidneys to um, help to regulate the the minerals and for example when a person is fasting for a, several days uh, they will uh, generally lose more protein than fat uh, because the uh, the stress hormones rise and uh, they live on a pure meat diet when they're fasting as their tissues break down <laughs> right okay and uh, if you, during that fast, if you just drink uh, the minerals, uh, salt water, baking soda, uh, uh, potassium, some magnesium and calcium, mm-hmm. uh, any of the alkaline minerals will radically spare the, the amount of protein that you would be right. consuming and wasting. Huh. So a fast is, is much less stressful and harmful if you're getting the the alkaline minerals. Okay. Now, it, it, I know that uh, you've mentioned um, sodium bicarbonate as being, um, there's a caller. Yeah, okay, we have a caller on there, but I think we better take this caller first. So just, hello, you're on there? Yes. Uh, this is fascinating, and thank you very much, yourselves and Dr. P. Uh, is the carbon dioxide that uh, circulation or so uh, exchange that the doctor just spoke of is that why it's so calming to rebreathe carbon dioxide when you're in stress? Um, because um, stress, that's really a primary thing that stress does. It's shifting to the alkaline um, and and making lactic acid. Uh, the cells are in danger of um, 
getting into a chronically activated state, uh, the panic attack is a typical uh, thing where uh, the body too easily shifts over into making lactic acid instead of, of carbon dioxide. And so the, the person feels that they're suffocating. But in, in the long run, that same thing can lead to um, degenerative diseases or cancer in which the cells are stuck in a panic attack condition. And the, um, if you think of the original state of the cell as being uh, the protein acid, which attracts the minerals to neutralize the acid, uh, you can restore that condition with um, carbon dioxide, just rebreathing it, uh, getting your uh, percentage of, of the acidic carbon dioxide dissolved in the blood uh, up where it should be. You can stop the production of lactic acid, uh, reverse processes and restore the cell to its relaxed, unpanicked condition. And that's, and that's through, like, bag breathing? Uh, yeah. Um, and, for example, you can uh, generally lower your blood pressure just breathing a minute or two in a paper bag a few times a day. I've seen people take their blood pressure down 30 points in just a day or two that way. Thank you so much. Thank you for your call. Okay. So it, it really is a de-stressor in um, not only for the mental state, but for all the other cellular states that are panicking. Um, yeah. Every, every uh, cell or, or tissue that you look at, uh, it's protected if you uh, restore the proper amount of carbon dioxide. And it, it, the... Um, Carbon dioxide in the gaseous form, it, it's easier if you think about the pH acid-base balance of the organism. If you think of it as being pushed by a few, uh, a few factors, one of which is the amount of dissolved or gaseous carbon dioxide, uh, so that uh, breathing in a bag is one of the most powerful ways to restore the proper uh, balance. Uh, if you need more bicarbonate, the gaseous carbon dioxide will allow you to make more bicarbonate. Uh, and uh, that will help you regulate your minerals and even help you retain more of your alkaline minerals. So it, it will help uh, correct your balance either in the acid or base direction. And, Taking a sodium bicarbonate, for example, will actually acidify uh, cells that are in need of, of more carbon dioxide because uh, when the bicarbonate has been deficient, uh, when a cell is exposed to the, the bicarbonate, it will convert it into the acidic carbon dioxide and be able to lower its pH even though you've uh, taken the alkaline uh, baking soda. So is that why you recommend baking soda for athletes to help lower their, does that help balance out that high lactic acid? Yeah. Um, there have been experiments, for example, in uh, marathon or bicycle races in Death Valley where the altitude is very low. They found that 
uh, I think it was a tablespoon of, of uh, baking soda at the start of the race, uh, made them tolerate the, the stress much better. All right, good. There's, a, there's another caller on the line, so let's take the next caller. Hi, you're on the Hello? air. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, my question involves a study I heard just recently on, uh, I think, NPR about um, the cultures, the Western civilizations, um, that the mortality rate for Japan, and they're the highest smoking population of all Western cultures, is actually much higher than here in America. And I'm wondering... Does smoking increase that carbon dioxide that you're talking about in the body to release, to relax it? Or and I'll, take my, I'll take my answer off the air. Thanks. Okay. Uh, could you rephrase the question? Uh, what uh, was higher in the other cultures? Sm- he said smoking, and I think he was trying to get at was smoking an efficient way of raising your CO2, oh. CO2 but it's monoxide, I think. It's the, uh, uh, yeah, the carbon monoxide yeah. is um, something that we produce under stress. And it um, lowers our ability to, to use oxygen and to produce uh, carbon dioxide. Right, and carbon monoxide is what you produce, or what you inhale as part of the cigarette smoking, right? It increases your carbon monoxide, no? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the, the caller that called in, the carbon monoxide from smoking is pretty damaging, and it's not something that would uh, improve your CO2 content. I think that's what I think Michael has a question. Or do you have any thoughts about as to why the Japanese culture has such longevity compared to or lower mortality, especially since they do consume a lot of tobacco? Well, um, much of that is is, um, propaganda. (laughs) When when you look at the actual details of of the population, it isn't uh, as great as some of the articles have been saying. for example, one of the articles, if you look at the uh, mortality figures, it suggests that the average lifespan is 300 years. Uh, if, if you don't look at the whole structure of the population, uh, it's hard to get an idea of what the real uh, age-specific death rate is. Um, you have to look at uh, how likely a person <clears throat> is to die when they're 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years old, um, rather than looking at the, the mortality per population. And uh, that's the trouble with the uh, United States since the turn of the century. Uh, they stopped publishing the um, actual raw figures. They give an age-adjusted mortality rate. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think anyone outside of the Bureau of Statistics really is sure what the longevity of Americans is doing right now. So back to what that caller's question was, you don't think that smoking raises carbon dioxide in any way? It does, but it it raises the carbon monoxide so seriously that that's the main effect and it's it's harmful. Right. Okay, so you're listening to Ask Your Doctor on KMED 91.1 FM. Um, until now, until 8 o'clock, rather, from now until 8 o'clock, uh, people are invited to call in. Uh, Dr. Raymond Pete is here joining us in the studio. Uh, the number is, if you live outside the area, is 1-800-KMUD-RAD, or if you're lucky enough to live in uh, this uh, area code, is 923-3911. Okay, so Dr. Pete, you mentioned um, 
the sodium bicarbonate for the athletes in Death Valley would uh, actually give them a greater interval between getting stressed. Uh, the uh, potassium bicarbonate, is that that's something that could be used similarly as sodium bicarbonate? Um, yeah, uh, the, the average person is very good at getting rid of the uh, sodium, and uh, so the, the sodium bicarbonate is something that most people can can use without experiencing edema or, or disturbance of blood pressure. Right. And, but the, um, the potassium bicarbonate, um, it, um, it has a relaxing effect on your blood vessels, and um, so it, it can help to lower your blood pressure even more than the, the sodium bicarbonate, but you have to be cautious because too much of it can relax your heart. Right. And just for our listeners, in case they, um, people don't know what sodium bicarbonate is, it's baking soda. I'm just making sure we've mentioned that. I'm not sure if we have. If we have, I'm sorry to repeat that, but sodium bicarbonate is baking soda. Okay, so what would, um, what, what would your suggestions be, Dr. Pete, for the people that are out there that have been thinking about acid and alkalinity and the cancer problems with maybe an acidic situation? What would be, what would be an ideal lifestyle that you, that you, would, um, that you would suggest? Um, well, the, the only foods I would suggest eliminating would be the grains and beans okay. and most of the nuts. Right. And... Uh, Probably reducing uh, most meats. Uh, gelatin happens to be the the um, part of the of the meat that uh, doesn't have so many of the um, disturbing acidic pro-inflammatory effects. Uh, and in the news currently is the um, pink slime <laughs> issue, right. uh, which is made from connective tissues, but seems to me that that might be the best part of the meat. <laughs> okay, we do have another caller on the air, so let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, whenever I do rather short walks, like half an hour, I get muscle soreness for a couple of days afterwards. Um, so I'm assuming I'm making too much lactic acid somehow. So I started taking baking soda baths, and I wondered if um, taking these baths with about two pounds of baking soda per day is uh, safe. Dr. Pete, did you hear that? Uh, um, yeah, I, th I think it's um, uh, good. Um, salt, magnesium sulfate, Epsom salts, and baking soda are all uh, good. The, right. the baking soda helps you absorb magnesium if you have Epsom salts mixed with it. So that's a good combo, like maybe one pound baking soda and one pound Epsom salts? Yeah, and some experimenters in naturally carbonated mineral springs found that people were absorbing carbon dioxide through their skin, even though their body contains a lot of carbon dioxide the body has such an affinity for it that it will soak it up from the, the mineral water against the gradient. Um, it's as if we had pumps in our skin. Because it's going from a high, a high concentration, I mean a low concentration, yeah. to a high concentration. Yeah. 
it's a matter of solubility. Uh, the, uh, the enzymes turn from the bicarbonate into the uh, gaseous carbon dioxide form, which dissolves in our fats and uh, cells. Okay. Do you, um, I was, uh, I, you know, I can't actually remember the, the person that was talking about this, but it was, it was in relation to uh, a cancer treatment, and they were um, purporting the use of uh, ascorbate at the uh, rate of up to 130 grams a day, and it was nine parts ascorbate and one part ascorbic acid, and it was uh, supposed to be keeping uh, certain types of cancer from growing and actually causing some to regress. Do, do you know uh, much about that? Because it's vitamin C, but I understand the processing for these things is less than desirable. Um, yeah, uh, they keep changing the technology. I don't know exactly what they're doing now, but <clears throat> uh, as recently as about 10 years ago, uh, a free radical uh, chemist dissolved a gram of uh, pure powdered ascorbic acid in a liter of distilled water and found that there were enough heavy metals in that purified vitamin C to produce as many free radicals as a, a killing dose of x-rays would have produced. Oh, my goodness. So it's citrus season. That's a great source of vitamin C. Yeah, all of our foods except uh, the grains and beans, basically, are very good sources of vitamin C. Uh, the analytic methods have generally ignored it in meat and uh, some of the solid uh, foods like that, but it's present in meats at a very high concentration in the uh, oxidized state, and all you have to do is... Uh, metabolize and you turn the oxidized ascorbic acid into, into the uh, common ascorbic acid. So is that that's the theory why a concentrated orange juice still has absorbable vitamin C? It's just a slightly changed form when you um, boil? Yeah, and, and most, most of the tests uh, don't really uh, look at the molecule, they just look at the reducing power. And in, in some vegetables and, and meats, for example, the, the tissue has oxidized it partly into dehydroascorbic acid, but as soon as you eat it, it turns back into uh, ordinary ascorbic acid. Well, they say in Britain it was the fish and chips that prevented the British people from from developing scurvy because potatoes have quite a lot of vitamin C in them as well, don't they? Yeah, and fish. And fish, right, and the fish. <laughs> okay. All right, so how about, um, if you, could, would you be able to clarify a little what the um, people out there with, uh, unfortunately, dealing with cancers who are reading things like, um, you know, the the problems with acidic states in the body and kind of getting confused about, how how exactly to do anything about it? What would be what would be the uh, best way of maintaining um, enough energy in the body to deal with it? Really, I think in, in terms of not only making things acid, but uh, not well, making uh, the so-called alkaline ash diet. Lots of fruits and vegetables, right. uh, milk and cheese. Uh, all of those are uh, things that will help to. Uh, let the uh, stressed cancer 
cell repair itself as far as it can. And things like breathing in a, in a paper bag to increase the carbon dioxide are probably helpful. Uh, as long ago as um, 1910, the insurance companies knew that uh, people who lived at very high altitudes had a very low cancer mortality. And uh, that has been tested experimentally 50 years ago, taking uh, implanting tumors in rats uh, and leaving them near sea level. All of them quickly died. Taking them up to uh, 17,000 feet altitude, half of them threw off the cancers and had no, no symptoms left just from the carbon dioxide retention when the oxygen tension was lowered. Um, the, the carbon dioxide, one of its basic functions is to uh, assure the delivery of oxygen to the tissues. Uh, so uh, heavy breathing, hyperventilating, is a way to lower the oxygen in your tissues because you blow out the carbon dioxide and you need lot of carbon dioxide in your tissue to deliver the oxygen, uh, open up the blood vessels and let the oxygen circulate and be used. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you, I, I, it's a, a little digression perhaps, but it's um, on, the, on the kind of anti-cancer um, path. What do, you, um, what do you think about Gerson therapy and, and what, um, what he was uh, putting forward as a diet for um, anti-cancer. Um, I happened to get a copy of his book uh, just a few years after he died in the mid or early 1960s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I read it and was very impressed by, by his uh, detailed studies. Uh, he seemed to have read just about everything about cancer in the first half of the 20th century. And uh, so I tried to figure out uh, how it was working, and uh, the um, the minerals are a very important part of it, uh, and restoring the oxidative metabolism. He regularly gave his people armor thyroid. Okay. Uh, I think two grains was a very common dose for his patients. Okay. I have a question about thyroid. Uh, if you say you took thyroxine and you took armor thyroid and you were suddenly without the ability to get armor thyroid, how much of a mammal's thyroid would you need to eat in order to get the dose you needed? Oh, um, it, the armor product was standardized uh, to imitate the fresh glandular weight. And so they, they would powder, defat the gland and uh, powder it and then uh, dilute it uh, with glucose or lactic acid or or, uh, something to increase the weight and volume until it was similar to the fresh piece of gland uh, before dehydration. Uh, And so they called that the the normal dilution, and the powder itself was called the 3X concentrate, um, meaning that the gland is three times more concentrated than the old armor thyroid pills. And uh, that means that uh, one gram of the gland is equal to 15 grains of armor thyroid. 
Okay. So one gram of the fresh gland is equal to 15 grains of the armor thyroid. Yeah. Okay, we have another caller on the on the line. So go ahead, you're on the air. Hi, uh, I always enjoy the program. This is Jeff Hart on the Mendocino Coast. And my question may sound flip, but Dr. Pete, I always listen to what you say and try to put together what you're saying in a question that I really am, you know, intrigued by. So I'll put it in these terms. What would a double latte espresso, pink slime milkshake with baking soda, a tablespoon on the side, do for an athlete's performance in the Death Valley race? Would it enhance their performance, or would it give deeper meaning to Death Valley? Um, you would need a lot of ice, I think. <laughs> well, the, um, the caffeine is um, tends to enhance performance in mysterious ways that no one has really figured out how it works. <laughs> but uh, the the gelatin has an anti-stress effect. Uh, that that mixture seems like it would be pretty good. The baking soda, uh, gelatin content, and uh, you would need quite a bit of sugar with it, preferably fructose. That actually brings up another question I have for you, Dr. Pete. Um, I know we've had several programs again, but I think for people that may have just tuned in and listened, um, have read that the you know, cancers feed on sugar, and you've got to starve a cancer from sugar. Well, actually, they feed on amino acids and uh, turn the amino acids into sugar and then uh, turn some of the, of the sugar back into fat, and then they metabolize the fat. And with all that silly chemistry, <laughs> they produce a lot of heat with no, no light or no, no function to speak of. Uh, that's why they, you can identify a cancer because it's so hot, because it's burning uh, protein, turning it into amino acids and into sugar and into fat. So is that why thermography is quite a accurate way at looking for cancers in the body? Yeah, and so if you can feed it as much sugar as it wants, then it won't eat your protein, <laughs> at least not so fast. Right. Okay. So, so that... it could prevent the wasting disease associated with the cancer yeah. then. And saturated fat... Uh, aren't probably as good as, as sugar for uh, quieting stressed tissues, but they, they do have specific anti-stress functions. So I would uh, recommend avoiding all of the polyunsaturated fats because those turn on the stress reactions, increase your, your uh, adrenal corticoids, uh, adrenaline, uh, pituitary hormones, and so on, and while the saturated fats inhibit those same stress systems. So just for our listeners, in case you're not aware of what the PUFA or the polyunsaturated fat is, it's the liquid vegetable oils, not including olive oil. So everything but olive oil and coconut oil is the saturated fat that's very, very useful, as well as um, beef and lamb fat if it was from an butter. organic animal. And butter, of course, butter and cream. Okay, I had another quick question for you. I think there's going to be another caller here that's uh, being attended to. But in going back to the Gerson diet, um, he mentioned one of the things that I, I've looked at and it kind of caught my attention because I know you've always uh, been a great advocate of uh, consuming liver from a, uh, a vitamin point of view. Um, what was with the injected liver extracts? Oh, 
um, that was um, a way to get all of the essential nutrients. Right, okay. <laughs> and uh, around the time I read his book, I had been, uh, I met uh, Lionel Strong, who um, developed the cancer-prone strains of mice mm-hmm. that developed spontaneous breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had been uh, curing cancer just with an extract of liver. And uh, that was my first research project was uh, using to try to find out what it was in the liver that uh, in these liver extracts could cure cancer. But he also wanted to uh, um, eliminate salt from a diet too, and that's a little bit of a strange one for me to get my head around just because I know you're, again, an advocate of salt as actually a very good product rather than what modern... Um, modern dietary trends would have us think otherwise. Another person who studied cancer at the very basic level uh, was uh, Frederick Koch, Mm. William Frederick Koch. And uh, he, in working on the parathyroid hormone before he did his uh, famous cancer uh, preparations, he found that uh, the, the alkaline minerals to a tremendous extent, would substitute for each other. So you could, for example, uh, cure, uh, you could take out the parathyroid glands, which cause um, a calcium uh, problem, but you could cure that with sodium or potassium or magnesium. So the salt could replace the calcium or the the potassium or the magnesium? Yeah, to a great extent, any of those alkaline minerals can uh, replace the others. So uh, you don't have to worry about the balance so much because uh, having an excess, uh, your body can uh, sort them out. Well, that's a good fail-safe mechanism of the body. I think we have another caller on the line. And first, I have a brief question for someone because it's simple. Can you uh, simulate being at high altitude by eating a lot of baking soda? Uh, Yeah, that's what the uh, racers bicycle racers were doing. Uh, In Death Valley? uh, Yeah. Uh, When someone who lives at a high altitude uh, goes to sea level, they very often get sick. (laughs) And vice versa. (laughs) Yeah, oxygen poisoning is really worse than oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) You you recover quicker. We we do have one more caller for you, Dr. Pete, so let's get this uh, caller in. Because we only have five minutes left before the end of the show. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I'm wondering, is this diet uh, stuff you're talking about specifically for people with cancer or can regular people adjust their diet? I'm vegan and I'm looking for different sources of protein. Well, potatoes are the best vegetable protein known. They're better than eggs in terms of quality. What's the best protein? Uh, Potatoes. Potatoes. Potatoes are actually, they have... um, 106% 106% of the protein quality ranked next to egg yolk. Right, so 8 ounces, I think 8 ounces of potato has 8 grams of protein. Oh, wow, I had no idea. I thought it was Even a carb. When you consider, and, when, when you're eating the, the starch too, a, a liter of, of, of potato is like a liter of milk for, on average. Yeah, if you make potato juice and, and don't <laughs> well, drink the starch that no, settles if you out. make the juice, then it's, it's more like uh, eating pure potato, pure egg yolk. 
And you can even make a scrambled egg-like uh, preparation from potato juice. And it's quite tasty. Oh. And this, wow. has, and this would be healthy for the general public or for only people with cancer? Well, this, uh, I've, diet adjustment. I've, I've seen it for uh, people with mysterious ailments who seem to be dying one or two meals and they just popped out of it. <laughs> and, uh, no one really knew what was wrong with them, uh, but uh, I've seen it happen. Okay, so what about the raw potato juice? You'd recommend cooking it, right, Dr. Yeah, I think... Uh, there's someone who is now testing the raw stuff, and he's going to tell me whether it made him sick. <laughs> my experience is just with cooking it like scrambling an egg. Yeah, let the starch settle out before you um, cook it. And we are wrapping up. We have three minutes okay. left before the end of the show. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Well, thank you for tuning in. Okay, um, let's leave it there. And let's let people know uh, where and how to contact Dr. Pete. So uh, for those people that have heard this evening's show, uh, maybe for the first time or have heard Dr. Pete on the radio before, uh, just a reminder, um, his website is www.raypeat.com, R-A-Y-P-E-A-T.com. Uh, lots of scholarly articles there written by Dr. Pete, fully referenced. Um, and as far as I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he is open to being emailed. Is that right? Yeah. He, mm-hmm. Yeah, good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there's a word from, from the doctor himself. Okay. So uh, for all of those people who um, have uh, contributed by asking questions and being part of the show, thank you so much. Um, and say- We can be reached for further questions on... Um, 707-986-9506 or toll-free. On one eight 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 wbm herb um, Yeah, so take a look at Dr. Pete's website. It's uh, very useful information. It's not what you're going to find in mainstream, and if you do find some of it in mainstream, you'll probably find it confused with some other uh, <laughs> erroneous information. So go to Dr. Pete's website, and you can be guaranteed that he's, uh, he's done all the research for you. Okay. Thank so, you for uh, joining us, Dr. Pete, and yeah, thank, thank you, you for um, all those callers. Okay. Have a good night and see you in April. And support for KMUD comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antiviral medicine, no, antibacterial and antioxidant as well, made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. I'm just going to hang up on the uh, callers here because I can't concentrate. Okay, call back during Mark's show. And KMUD programming is made possible by more than 150 volunteers who provide programming, administrative support, fundraising, and governance. If you would like to volunteer at KMUD, please call the business office at 923-2513. It's 759. This is KMUD Garberville, KMUE Eureka, KLAI Laytonville, K258BQ Shelter Cove, Redwood Community Radio, KMUD.org. Get ready to get funked up with Cousin Mark.
Kmud thanks the Mateo Community Center in Redway for their support of this community radio station. Saturday, March 24th, Afrobeat sax man and vocalist Sun Kuti brings... Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.